Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 86, and um, it's verses 1 through 17. I really looked for a way to cut this down just for the sake of time, but somebody else really ought to try to do that for me because I just always want to read the whole Bible anyway. Um, And this whole psalm is so good. It's a prayer of David. You don't want to just do a half a prayer. So we'll we'll read the whole thing. But before we read it, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have given to us, the rains uh, coming down outside as a reminder of the ways that you do give and give uh, generously and provide what we need. God, we thank you for your word that we have to read today. We know that you didn't have to do that either, but we're so thankful that you did. We pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, that you would give us minds to understand, and that you would give us hearts that that have been prepared even before we got here today, to hear your word read and proclaimed, that we would uh, take it into our hearts and our lives, and that by your word and by your spirit, we would be changed from the inside out into the people that you created us to be, in a relationship with you through Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. It says, Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you. Because you answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths and from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Oh, you can't cut that in half. So good. Turning then to our New Testament lesson of equal length and goodness. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. It should be found on page 916 in your pew Bibles or 1754 in the large print. Romans 8, verses 9 through 25, Paul writes to the church uh, in Rome. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we are beginning a series um, that is both exciting and terrifying. We are going to be looking at uh, parables that Jesus told. This is one of the things that's exciting. Because uh, when I was a kid, this is a little personal story. When I was a kid in church, believe it or not, there were times I would get a little bored. I don't know if that ever happened to any of you. Probably not. Um, But it would. And what I would do, there were a variety of tricks I had uh, for how to handle that. One of them, though, that was one of my favorites, was uh, when I would get bored in church, I'd pull out the pew Bible in front of me, and I would search and see if I could find one of the parables Jesus told, because I thought those were the most fascinating and interesting parts of the whole Bible. And so while there were, you know, the boring parts the preacher was talking about, these, these were exciting, these were gripping, these were, you know, good stories. Um, Not sure I understood them, (laughs) but they were still entertaining in a way uh, that I've always had a, a fondness for them. So it's exciting to get to go through these. Uh, here's why it's a little frightening, is the particular parables we're going to be looking at are the parables of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus begins the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives what it's like and tells a little story, gives a little example. Why is that frightening? Because we use this phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which, by the way, you can use interchangeably. And uh, we talk about this kingdom. We pray about it in the Lord's Prayer every week. We just finished going through the Lord's Prayer, and we hit it on two different weeks, where 
Uh, there's the week where we say, for thine, uh, wait, wait, back up. Uh, how does it go? Your, your kingdom come, your will be done. There you go. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm trying to work backwards through the prayer. That's hard. Let's start at the beginning. Um, yeah. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we're talking about God's kingdom there. We also use the same kind of language at the end where we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we hit this, this idea. We use these words. But here's the frightening part about the parables Jesus tells about the kingdom is generally the parables that he tells explains how we don't understand what the kingdom of God is. And because of this, it's actually somewhat threatening. And a lot of times what we do is we take this idea of the kingdom of God, and what we really mean by it is actually our own kingdom with God helping to build it. And that's not it at all. It's God as king and us as not the king. And that is way easier to say than it is to live. God is king, and us as not the king. This is what's been backwards from the Garden of Eden. When we said, I know God said this, but I think this is a pretty good idea, and we go our own way. No, no. That's not how things are supposed to be, and now everything is broken. So Jesus comes, Kind of skipped a lot there, but anyway. <laughs> Garden of Eden, and Jesus comes. Uh, there are some things that happen in between there that are a little important too. But for now, when Jesus comes, what does he come proclaiming and teaching and showing people? The kingdom of God. This is what it's about. The kingdom of heaven. He's, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a big idea. And it's his preaching about this that both draws people to him, and causes them to reject him. Because there are a lot of people who hear about the kingdom of heaven and hear about the kingdom of God who have been waiting for their idea of the kingdom of God to come. And when Jesus comes and says, it's here, they get all excited until they find out what he means. And this is why it's frightening for us. It's because we've been using the same words that they were using. We talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But what if we've misunderstood it? And what if when we find out what he really means, we find it too threatening? We find that we want to be king. And we don't want to do things his way. And then we walk away. That's what makes this a particularly frightening series. But it's still exciting. Because as Jesus explains these things, as he gives us these parables showing us what the kingdom of heaven is like, it at least gives us the option of dealing with what he's actually talking about. So we're not deciding on false information, but on what he's actually saying, what it's actually like. And the first one that we're going to look at is uh, from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. I'll read first, then... Tell you why I'm glad this is the first one. <laughs> Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, Jesus told them another parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, 
and the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There you go. There's a story. Now, for those of you who have heard this before, whether you've read it or heard it preached, you probably have some idea what in the world Jesus is talking about. But for those of you who've never heard this before and are thinking right now, what was that? You are in good company. Because Jesus' disciples come to him a little bit later. If you skip down to verse 36, this is why I'm excited we get to start with one where Jesus actually explains, okay, here's the story, here's what it means. So we kind of get a little help there as we get started. Verse 36, and he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears... Let them hear. All right. So if you've never heard that explanation before and been just guessing on your own, you, I don't know, maybe you got there, maybe not. But this is what Jesus says he was actually talking about. You listen at first, you say the kingdom of heaven is like, oh, farming. I got that. But then he explains how it's like that and how it's really not like that in the way that we would normally think about it. In fact, uh, what this parable seems to be mostly about is the interaction of the servants and the owner. When they say, do you want us to go pull the weeds? And he says, no. And what's really fascinating to me is that Jesus doesn't tell us who the servants are. He goes through every other element of this <laughs> of the whole parable and says, well, this is who this is, this is who this is. And then we get the servants and sort of leaves that out. I think it's because in this case, the servants are kind of doing double duty, representing also those who are part of the kingdom of God, which is what the wheat is. How do you have that? It all kind of breaks down at some point, doesn't it? But we have the servants who come to Jesus and say, would you like us to pull the weeds? Or come to the owner and say, would you like us to pull the weeds? This is reasonable. This is understandable. Because if the idea is to have a good crop of wheat, and instead you have a good crop of wheat and weeds, then you're thinking, well, we may not have a good crop of wheat after all. The weeds may actually threaten to destroy the wheat. And if we let that keep going, we may not end up with anything at all. And then when Jesus explains who it is that these represent, we feel it all the more. Because now it's not just about farming, but it's about what, it mean, what it's like to live in this world. 
And he says that the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom and the weeds are the people of the evil one. And so if you have these right next to each other, the people who are actually a part of the kingdom of God, who are living, trusting him and following him and wanting his ways to be done on earth as in heaven. And they're right next to those who are not following that and who don't want that and who actually are threatening to destroy those who are. Do you feel it? Don't you feel the, the question that the servants ask? Should we just get rid of those? Should we take them out? But he says no. And this, I think, is the shocking part of the parable. Because when he says there's good seed and there's not, we go, yeah, okay, got that. And then he says uh, they both grow up and they're side by side. We feel that. And then the servants say, should we go get rid of the weeds? And we go, right on, let's do that. And then he says, no. Wait, what was that? And that's why Jesus tells this parable. The parable that he just told before that showed that there might be people who are hearing the same word and responding the same way, but some of them are real and some of them are not. And then the question that people may have is, well, then should we start looking for the fake ones? We start looking for the enemies, and should we get rid of them? And so Jesus says, no, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed. And when the servants say, should we get rid of the weeds, he says, no. This is hard. Whoops, that's the wrong page. This one's the right one. Because most of us, I think at an emotional, visceral level, relate more to uh, Susan B. Anthony's take on this parable. Susan B. Anthony, apparently years and years ago, uh, when she was alive, answered somebody who was asking, you know, do you think God is going to punish people who, blah, 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 working against her? And she actually brings up this parable. And her take on it is she says uh, that God allows the wheat and the tares, that's weeds, to grow up together, and that the tares frequently get the start of the wheat and kill it out. And then she says the only difference between the wheat and human beings is that the latter have intellect and ought to combine and pull out the tares, root and branch. So you hear what she's saying? She's saying what I think we generally feel when we get here. When we experience the wheat and the weeds growing up right next to each other. And what she's saying is, I don't think God is doing enough. I don't think whatever he's doing, he's doing fast enough. And I think we know better, and we ought to do something about it. Now, that's understandable. Don't you feel that? When there are, uh, when facing enemies and threats, especially threats to our faith, especially threats to your personal faith, that we've got to do something about this. What Jesus is saying, though, is that we are supposed to do something about it, but not what the servants recommend. That the kingdom of heaven is different. And before you say, but wait, that's not how the world works, I think Jesus would answer, I know. 
That's why the world is broken. What I'm offering is a different way, a kingdom of heaven that shows how it does work. And so here's what we normally try to do, is we normally try to combat evil with evil. Paul tells us in Romans uh, 12, don't do that. But overcome evil with good. What we normally try to do is add more, you know, if, if the problem is somebody who is hating and wanting to destroy, then what we ought to do is hate them and try to destroy them. But all we've done is added more hate and destruction to the mix. And this is why when the owner tells the servants, don't pull the weeds, he actually tells them why, which is good. Because usually we don't get the why. We always want to know the why, but usually we don't get it. But here he actually tells us why. And the reason he says don't pull the weeds is not because the weeds need to be there, not that they deserve to be there, not that they have uh, done anything worth being there. Because that's normally what we think. Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is he allowing this evil to go on? Is, are they doing something that's getting his blessing? No. But there's a time that he has, and there are those that he has appointed to the task. And he says, you are not those people. And now is not that time. And if you do what I have not told you to do, but you go about things your own way and how you see fit, then you are in danger of the exact problem that they're having. In other words, if you go adding, trying to destroy evil by adding more evil, by turning away from God, and what he said... It actually damages us at the root of who we are in Christ. Now, for those of you who are hearing this at this point and thinking, well, I wasn't planning any violent act anyway, good, first of all. (laughs) But beyond that, There are more ways to do violence than just violence. I think this is one of the reasons why we have over and over again throughout the Bible uh, cautions on how we use our words. Because even in a small town, and maybe especially in a small town, it's incredibly tempting to to kind of have a, a lynch mob of words, so to speak. Or we decide that there's somebody who's a weed. And we might not ever physically do anything to them. But we get them out. We make sure that they are uprooted. But in doing so, we're in danger of ripping out the very core and foundation of who who we've been called to be in Jesus. This is, a, this is a hard parable. Because it does get right to the, the root of who we are and what the kingdom of God is like and how it is very different from the ways of the world. But I want you to notice something else. That while this whole interaction has been between um, the servants and the owner 
Did you hear who the parable is about? Ultimately, the parable is not about us. There's a part where we, that we play where basically we have the best of motives and the best of intentions, and God says, no, not that. The parable is really about him. The parable is about a man who sowed good seed in his field and then everything that follows. And if you look at who he is and what he's doing throughout, he starts out by sowing good seed. There are others, though, doing wrong, sowing bad seed. He's surrounded by everybody doing the wrong thing, and yet as you go through the whole parable, he's the one doing right the whole way through until at the end, all is right again. This, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of God is like. It's about a good God doing good things in a world that is messed up and where everybody keeps trying to do it the wrong way around, but he's committed to making sure that it goes right. One of the reasons why we want to get rid of the weeds is because we feel the threat. The reason that God says to leave the weeds is because they are not a threat to who he is and what he's doing. They are not a threat to the harvest that he has in mind. They are not actually a threat to the wheat, even though it feels that way. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. So he says, you let them stay. You trust in me. I know what I'm doing. Let me be the owner. Let me be the king and follow my way. Okay. So what are we to do? The parable is really about God, obviously. We should worship him as the king. We should trust him as the king, and we should follow his way. But all we've been told in this parable is what we're not supposed to do with these weeds. But don't you think somewhere Jesus would tell us what to do? And he does a lot. But one of the places that is most um, specific in this regard Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Do you hear that? This, again, is opposite of what we feel naturally. It's opposite of the way the world works. But Jesus says, when someone is your enemy, love them. You want to, do, want to know what to do when somebody hates you? Do good to them. You want to know what to do when somebody curses you? Bless them. And you want to know what to do when somebody mistreats you? Pray for them. Does it sound like the kingdoms of this world? Not at all. Does this sound like the personal kingdoms we try to build on our own? Not at all. The kingdom of heaven is very different. The kingdom of heaven is good and right, but it is an absolute opposition to the kingdoms of this world. And this is where we have a decision to make. Do we trust God to be our king? Or do we want to stay as rebels, overthrowing the true king, trying to set ourselves up as king, thinking we know better. We've been told how the story ends. We know that there will be a harvest, and we know what happens to those who are in the kingdom of God and those who aren't. But we still have to answer the question for ourselves. 
knowing this is the kingdom he's talking about. But we side with the true king. Or not. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.